You're listening to The Served Up Show, a podcast that features inspiring beverage professionals and topic experts that share their passions through meaningful content. Your hostesses, Bridget Albert, is best known as the Market Fresh Mixologist, an industry mentor with over 25 years of experience. And I'm Julie Milroy, best known for my passion for leading change and helping others grow in their careers. Grab a cocktail and sit back. Let's learn how we can make a positive impact in our industry. Hey y'all, it's Bridget here. We are so excited to be at the upcoming New York City Wine and Food Festival. This is a star-studded four-day event showcasing the talents of the world's renowned chefs, wine and spirit experts, and more. The served up team will be in the middle of the action. Stay tuned for more info about the New York City Wine and Food Festival at the end of this show. Julie and I had the opportunity and pleasure to chat with the celebrated Julie Reiner. Julie is a co-founder of world-renowned cocktail bars in New York City and Brooklyn. She has been elevating the cocktail scene in New York City for 25 years. She most recently is a recipient of the 2022 Helen David Lifetime Achievement Award for her lifelong dedication to the beverage community as a mentor, career creator, and her good work as a bar operator. Julie draws inspiration from her upbringing in Hawaii by utilizing the freshest juices and premier quality spices and spirits available in her original cocktails. In 2017, Julie and her partner, Tom Macy, set out to bring to life their dream of creating bar quality cocktails in a can. From recipe formulation to branding and package design, they were determined to bring their unique style of cocktail making to the masses. Social Hour launched in August of 2020 in New York and has since expanded. Their goal is to grow Social Hour into an RTD brand that will define how exceptional a pre-mixed cocktail can be. Julie's recipes have been featured in multiple highly visible media outlets, and she will soon be featured as a judge on the Netflix first mixology reality competition show titled The Ultimate Drink Master, premiering this October 28th. Julie shared her passion for the beverage industry, her journey, and so much more. So grab yourself your favorite social hour cocktail and enjoy this very special show. Julie, welcome to Served Up. We are so happy to have you on the show today. Hi, my friend, Bridget. It's been so long. It's nice to see your face. It is so wonderful to see your face. And I'm so excited to meet you, Julie. I feel like I've heard so much about you. Um, Actually, from when we were talking about starting a podcast on sanitation and what you're supposed to do when there's a COVID shutdown, like your name came up a lot. Like, Bridget was like, I need to call my friend Julie. Julie knows what Julie's doing this. So I feel like finally meet you. It's nice to meet you too, Julie. And yeah, I feel like we are... um, real pros with sanitation these days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about something more fun and interesting besides cleaning products. Okay. I would love to jump in right away, Julie, and have our listeners, you know, for those that are not familiar with you and your amazing career, if we could just really kind of take it all the way back and 
to the beginning of your journey, can you tell us really what inspired you or how did you enter the beverage community? Yeah, you know, I, I entered it at a very young age because I grew up in Honolulu, Hawaii. And what um, my, my first job in this industry was cocktail waitressing in Waikiki. And um, I immediately, I was like 18 at the time, and I just fell in love with the action of it. And I was serving, you know, blue Hawaiians and Mai Tais to tourists in Waikiki at the hot Fun. rod, at the hot rod cafe. <laughs> I've been to the Hard Rock, but not the Hard Rock. It was a total like ripoff of the Hard Rock Cafe. So (laughs) yeah, I love it. Like the the tables were like the back of like 1950s cars, you know, it was like stadium seating. It was very funny. Um, But I, so I started out there and then I, when I went to college, I waited tables and I got my first bartending job uh, at Florida State University um, at a place called The Pub. Um, and so it's, I sort of, you know, even like all through college, I was bartending and then I graduated and got a degree in, in communications and I moved to San Francisco uh, and tried to get a, a real job now that I had this degree and I was bored to tears. Um, <laughs> I was like doing marketing, sitting at a table, you know, I was like, this is really not very exciting. Um, and so I started cocktail serving again. And um, that was, you know, led to bartending in San Francisco. And eventually I moved to New York uh, and got a job also bartending in, in New York City. And my, my dad was like, oh, when are you going to get a real job? Because you know? <laughs> that was back when, you know, people would sit at your bar and like bar- being a bartender wasn't considered a real job. Right. Um, and so I, I, w- I became, I was the bar manager and then it was acceptable. <laughs> Um, but that was sort of like the basis to how I got involved. And, you know, and then I was in New York and I was working at a place called C3 Lounge and it was connected to the Washington Square Hotel. And, you know, I started doing my own sort of infusions and taking a more culinary approach to cocktails, which at that time in New York City wasn't something that people were doing. Everything was sour mix on the gun and nobody was doing anything fresh. Uh, and so all of a sudden, you know, Dale DeGroff came in and was like, hey, kid, I hear you're making some good drinks in here. <laughs> Our good friend, Dale. Amazing. And I, and I was like, who are you? I, you know, I had I really didn't know anybody, you know, in our industry. And at that time, as you know, Bridget, it was a small group of people um, who were really focusing on cocktails and beverage uh, and taking it to the next kind of level. And really bringing back a lot of those classic cocktails. Um, and so, you know, Dale and Tony Abuganam both came in and, uh, and I realized that there were other people out there who actually cared about really putting something of, of quality in the glass. Uh, and that really kind of sparked, you know, my interest in opening bars. Can you like maybe talk a bit about when that was? Yeah, so I was in San Francisco from 94 to 97. And then I moved to to New York City. So, you know, I was working in the bars in New York, starting in 1997. And eventually in 2000, by 2003, we opened up the Flatiron Lounge, which was my very first bar. So yeah, the late 90s in New York, you know, chefs at that time really weren't very supportive of bar 
tenders and mm-hmm. so they it was very much a like you know this is i'm the i'm the star here and they didn't really want anybody behind the bar sort of stealing their light <laughs> so to speak um which is the you know in the story from c3 which dale loves to tell um is that the chef and the general manager went to the owner and they were like she's gonna open her own bar and steal all of your clientele Um, oh my god i started getting press for the drinks that i was doing you know as you know new yorkers like the best of everything and they're willing to travel for it so i was written about in the new york times and then i was written about in new york magazine and all of a sudden this tiny bar you had to walk through the restaurant to get to the bar in the back so the restaurant kind of became a walkway to get to the bar (laughs) I, I need a drink <laughs> Yeah, because I had gotten so much press. Um, and yeah, so the chef and the, the restaurant GM were very angry because not only was I getting all of this notoriety, but I was also making a shit ton of money. <laughs> in that back and, oh my God. People were actually coming to the restaurant and you were bringing yeah. in so much traffic. Yes. God I mean, forbid. I didn't realize, you know, the owner's family owned the hotel and it was kind of like, you know, for me, I, I thought that filling the seats and making it as successful as possible was what my job was. But yeah. it turned out that, you know, they didn't, it was almost like a guest amenity for the hotel. Like they, they made their money on the hotel. And I, I guess they didn't really care if the bar was busy or not. So I got fired for doing quote, too good of a job. Oh, don't you hate it when that happens? I hate it when that happens. Why does that happen to us? But the best part is that I've told this story 8 million times now, and it really lit a fire under my ass. And I was like, okay, I'll show you guys. I'm going to open my own bar. <laughs> Flat iron. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. Tell us about that experience. I mean, like how, how do you do that? You know, how does one do that? Cause I know somebody that's been in the restaurant industry, like my mom owned restaurants growing up, you know, and it was the hardest times of our lives, but also the best time of my life, you know, uh, being yeah. there all day, all night. And I know it's not easy. It is hard. And you've just had so much success with not just like your own business, but very notable businesses, notable bars, you know, like how, how did that happen? Like, did you have support team? Like, did you guys raise money? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, I knew that as I had gotten all this press and I was like, you know what, clearly this is an untapped market in a city where everything has been done. Right. I mean, there's like competition in New York city for, to be like the hot dog vendor on, on the whatever corner, right. (laughs) There's the competition for everything. And here is this, this high-end cocktail world or just giving people fresh juice and homemade syrups. And, you know, these were things that were like groundbreaking at the time um, that wasn't happening. And I realized from my experience at C3 that New Yorkers wanted it, you know, and I was like, if I could get a place open, I could, I know that it would be hugely successful. So I started talking to some people and ended up kind of partnering, partnering with uh, a friend of mine who worked in San Francisco, but whose mom owned restaurants in New York City. And she moved back to New York. And she had some friends who owned a bar called the Zinc Bar, which is like a jazz club. And so they kind of knew the aspects of the business that we didn't, or that I especially didn't. Like, how do you open something in New York City? How do you, like the DOB and liquor licenses? I knew nothing about any of that. I just knew 
that I could make, you know, I could run the shit out of this place and <laughs> train the bartenders and have a great, you know, scene and all of that. So we ended up partnering with them and they really kind of handled lease negotiations and the build out and all of that stuff. Um, and then, you know, we were able to get it open and I was Susan, my, my wife and partner, uh, in the, in all of the bars, Susan Fedroff and Michelle Connolly and I were the managing partners of Flatiron Lounge. And then throughout all of your other ventures, it's always, it hasn't always been this. I mean, the only, the only, uh, consistent is Susan and I, (laughs) It's kind of changed with all the places, but, you know, so Flatiron Lounge opened in 2003, uh, and then the same group minus Michelle uh, and plus Audrey Saunders opened Pegu Club. Mm-hmm. So it was almost the same group, but Michelle wasn't a part of the Pegu Club. Um, Audrey came in to sort of be the face of Pegu. Um, we opened that in 2005. And then um and then in 2008, I opened Clover Club out in Brooklyn uh, with a totally different partner. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I want, to, I want to take it back just a little bit because the first time I met you is when I was on Iron Chef America and you judged me. And I think I made one cocktail that was tasty, probably. Oh my gosh. It was so crazy. And I went, you know, against Tony, but I want to talk to you about that because that was also that night I went to Pegu Club for the first time. And I went there with Tony and with Anne, you know, uh-huh. from Iron yep. Tough, and it was so much fun and you were just so incredible. And I just, I'll, I'll never forget my first visit to Pegu and what a special place that was. Can you talk a little bit about what Flatiron and what Pegu really did to help push um, not only the cocktail scene forward, but you really gave recognition to women in our industry as well, who were not recognized, by the way, up to that point. I mean, at all. Yeah. So can we maybe go from there? Yeah. I mean, yeah. So Flatiron was very much like a 1920s Art Deco style cocktail bar. Um, we found a, a bar that had been built in, in 1927 and then really kind of designed the whole space around this beautiful bar. Um, and, and yeah, Flatiron was really one of the very first cocktail bars that was doing seasonal menus. And, you know, I mean, I was using tea and making syrups and fresh juices. And at the time, I mean, now like everybody's, if you're not doing that, like you're closing, you know, (laughs) um, but at that time, nobody was really using fresh juice. Um, you know, there, there was even like orange juice on my gun. It was so bad. Uh, and so, you know, we really kind of taught New Yorkers how to drink in a way. And we, we started looking at all these old classic recipes and making people, um, French 75s and, you know, South side fizz and like drinks. It was very much Cosmo nation because of sex in the city. Um, and we, we would, you know, do cocktail flights where the server would walk up and be like, oh, the flight of the day today is a flight to Mexico. And we're featuring these three tequila based cocktails. Uh, And oftentimes, you know, somebody was going to order a lemon drop or a cosmopolitan, but they would hear these three drinks verbaled to them. And they'd be like, oh, that you know, whatever, Mexican firing squad special. That sounds really delicious. I think I'll have that. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they would order the flight. And so we really kind of 
taught people that there were other drinks out there and I would give them like a money back guarantee. I'm like, if you hate this Southside fizz, I'll give you that Cosmo, no problem. Because I wanted to sort of get people drinking gin and whiskey and other things um, other than, you know, the Cosmo everywhere they went and nothing against the Cosmo, but, you know, bartenders want to make new and different things. Um, so that was Flatiron. And then with Pegu Club, you know, Audrey had been a friend, uh, you know, she, Dale sent she and I out on some cocktail safari things together and to some like celebrity bartender things where she and I uh, became friends and were both featured. And, you know, she would come into C3 and I'd be like, hey, want to see my pineapple infused rum? You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> she's like, yes, I do. What yeah. does that taste like? So yeah. The two of us like standing in the walk in and I'm like, this one's done a week and this one's got a week and a half. And, you know, we it was great because I finally had somebody to talk to about this thing that I was loving so much. Um, and, you know, when it came, the opportunity to open what would become Pegu Club came up, I really felt like it was too soon for me to put my name on another space um, because it was, you know, the Zinc Bar partners kind of coming to us with this, like, well, let's do this other thing. And I suggested, I was like, you know, why don't we talk to Audrey Saunders if anybody needs their own bar? it's her, you know, uh, at that time she had some of my favorite cocktails and I was so inspired by her Jamaican firefly and her gin gin mule and those, those cocktails that are synonymous with Audrey. Um, and so we talked to her and of course she was very excited at the opportunity and cut to, you know, a short time later and we opened the Pegu club on Houston street. And thank goodness that you did, because I know I, at that time I was behind the bar at the Bellagio, you know, under the, under Tony Abaganum, right? He was our, our lead beverage specialist, the mixologist on staff when that term really hadn't been used and overused and used to death like it is now. Right. And, um, I'll never forget, you know, just admiring you like I do absolutely do today as well but just knowing that there was somebody else out there like there was this this team of women that were really trying to help push our industry forward because being a female behind the bar during that time sucked yeah we had, and this, we had this, three out of 200 bartenders wow and I was the youngest so I've got stories that would make you throw up, you know, I'm so sure. yeah, especially I think in the union setting of, of Vegas, mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I remember being in Hawaii when I was cocktail waitressing at 18 and I was mm -hmm. fascinated at what was going on behind the bar. That was a, they've got made, they made a lot more money and it was all, yeah. it was all men behind the mm -hmm. bar and you couldn't even talk to them about drinks. Like it was the kind of thing where, you know, this was like before you rang it in on a chit, right? So I would walk up to the bar and I'd have all of the drinks that I needed to order for my table. And you had to call them out in a certain order to the bartender, you know, and if you said anything out of order, they would just stand there and stare at you until you fixed the order that you said the drinks in, you oh know, my God. It was yeah. a total machismo yeah. scenario. And, and they really just didn't want women to, to get back there. No, um, but cut to like, when I was in San Francisco, there were tons of women behind the bar. It mm -hmm. was really not that 
situation. So I think for me, when I was in San Fran and also when I was in college, it was a lot of women behind the bar. Um, so it never really occurred to me that that was the case, you know, I, that I couldn't do it or that nobody would put me behind the bar. Um, but I think, you know, in what your situation being in the unions of Ho Hawaii hotels and of Vegas hotels, that was very much like they didn't want women to get those jobs. No, I mean, absolutely not. And, you know, I too, I had the same sort of beginnings as, as you, which is so neat. You know, I worked at a country star, which was like the hard rock of its day, which I don't like country music. So it was like super painful and was washing dishes. Right. And then worked yeah. my way up to the bar. But I do remember cocktail serving at the Empress River Casino in, um, in Illinois here. And that was a nightmare when you, you are, you just hit it on the head. Like when you would have to write everything down on your piece of paper, hand it over to the bartender. And you're right. They would make you rewrite everything. If you didn't do it in the order that they wanted, thank God things have changed. But I do believe that the only reason that things have changed is because of people like you really pushing things forward, you know, having the notoriety, thank God. And just showing that, there are female bartenders and we're doing, we're doing it, you know, yeah. and you've yep. given that voice to all of us. And I thank you for that. My pleasure. I mean, I, <laughs> I, I kind of have always, um, you know, people say that to me and I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I feel like I just, I just have kind of done what I wanted to do and I've hired women and, you know, given opportunities because I like working with women, you know, I mean, we've had, we have, both we have men and women in our in our spaces, but um, I enjoy you know working with other women and and have always wanted to give them the opportunities that that I had. Um, so hasn't always been easy, but you know it, we've come a long way. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine um, you know what some of the challenges were that you went through, right? Owning, owning different restaurants. I mean, we, we obviously um, went through COVID together, but what, what was kind of the, the biggest challenge that you had and, and like, how did you, how did you get through it? Like, how did you just, you know, hold on and, and keep going? Because I, I know you've had tons of success and that, but I know that it didn't come with a lot of, you know, hard times. Yeah, I mean, I think that my greatest um, challenge was finding the right partnership, honestly, mm -hmm. um, you know, with with Flatiron and Pegu and the beginning of Clover Club, you know, these were flawed partnerships for sure. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, once you get the right partnership, you're unstoppable. Um and, you know, for me, it was, you know, I realized that I wanted to move in a different direction after Flatiron and Pegu. Um, and we opened Clover Club with a real estate guy who financed the whole thing. And, you know, it, it, it didn't end up being a good scenario in the end. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Christine Williams, who was our general manager at Clover Club, was like, why don't we buy him out? You know, and so it was not exactly a very um, positive situation. Um, and we basically bought our bar back as if we owned none of it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but, 
and so, you know, financially that was terrible and very challenging. And it was also the same year that we won all of the awards at Tales. We won best American cocktail bar, best high volume bar. I won best bar mentor. And we didn't know if we actually owned Clover Club or not at that point. It was mid, mid buyout um, and it was contentious. Um, but we finally closed on it and at that point so it's it's now christine and susan and i and uh our longtime head bartender uh who's now running social hour cocktails our, our cocktail line tom macy mm -hmm. um and we are the partners at clover club uh and then we opened leyenda across the street and brought in ivy mix um so you know susan and christine and i are sort of the core to all of it and the between the three of us we're we're an amazing team and and um you know we're we're now just a very short time away from opening our third place together <laughs> um but yeah i mean so finding finding the right partnership i think was definitely my biggest challenge um in my career i mean early on i certainly had the like you know we don't want a girl behind the bar, uh, you know, and I just went next, you know, yeah, <laughs> went on yeah. to the next place. Um, I, you know, I didn't really let that stop me. Um, but, but yeah. yeah, the partnerships are important, right? I mean, it's, it's like a marriage and I think sometimes it's easy to just, I, I, I don't want to say easy, but if the money's there, right. And, and they're like the financial investor, you're like, okay, you know, I can do anything now because the money's there and it's not necessarily, yeah the best choice totally and uh, you know and it's one of those things where you want the opportunity you know with Flatiron, we had a first meeting with you know one of the one of the partners the one of the brothers and and i left that meeting and was like there's something about him that you know i'm like uh, i that gives me not a great feeling you know mm -hmm. but i wanted to open my own bar so badly that i was like we'll make it work you know and at the end of the day like you know the timing of when we did it you can't take that away from us you know it, it solidified a lot in my career and my trajectory in in the bar business um but there were definitely there was a red flag you know minute one that i sort of pushed in the background of my mind because i was like i really want to open this bar and it was that was the pathway to do it yeah I'm so glad that you did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. So glad you did. you, you've done so much. Um, and, and not just opening bars. Um, you mentioned your wonderful ready to drink in our world. We call it RTD mm -hmm. and it's called social hour. I want to hear a bit about that journey. I think our listeners would love to hear more about social hour. It is such an, a category that has absolutely exploded. So yeah. tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, well, so Tom Macy uh, and I have been working on this idea for a really long time. Um, you know, like a couple of years, we've been working on formulas and trying to create the perfect cocktail to put in a can. We were going back and forth to this flavor house. Um, and it kind of started with us making our own bottled Paloma for Leanda um, and realizing that a bottled Paloma that you can carbonate the whole thing is better than a Paloma that you can make over the bar. You know, we are like, this is, you know, to, to be able to, to carbonate everything. And, and we talked about doing a gin and tonic where, you know, the whole thing is carbonated and it would be 
that much more delicious. And so that was kind of where the idea started. And Tom started working on it. And as you know, you know, we're perfectionists. Um, and really, you know, putting something in a can is a very different type of mixology. Because um, you're working with flavors, uh, you know, you're not fresh juice can be challenging. So there was a lot of learning curve there, which is why it took us so long. And we were scheduled to launch Social Hour in April of 2020. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit, you know, so so uh, the pandemic hit and we lost some of our investors because they were restaurant business people and everybody was terrified that we, you know, oh, we can't be together with humans. We don't have a business, you know, I mean, you're in the bar business that is required. (laughs) So um, we, we ended up kind of uh, pausing for a minute and then actually launching in August of 2020. Um, But it was challenging, you know, because you couldn't walk into a liquor store and taste people on your product and sell them on it. So, you know, the, it was, it was definitely a slow sort of start. And then everybody else was like, oh, we should do this too, because you know, the, the, I feel like the RTD market grew by leaps and bounds because people couldn't be together, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and so there are a lot of things that came out that were not good, <laughs> but it's very difficult to sift through it um, as a consumer, I think, because now it's so saturated that you don't know what's good and what's not, what's made with malt beverage and what's made with actual spirits and educating the public on that. Hundred percent. And can you tell our listeners where it's available? Yeah. So social hour right now we are in New York, uh, New Jersey, uh, and Florida, uh, and we're looking to you know get into some other states in the in the very near future. Amazing. And should they follow you on the social hour website for updates? Yeah. Can yep. you get that website? Yep. It's just socialhourcocktails.com um, and. Um, we're on Instagram as well. Uh, social hour. Yeah. It, you that. know, listeners definitely check them out. They're absolutely delicious made by an expert. And, you know, I did speak recently like about Charles Jolie's craft house, and it is a, definitely a category that's worth paying attention to when, when an expert, when an actual cocktail expert releases something within a category, like an RTD, when most of the things on this shelf, by the way, taste like shit. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, if you see social hour, pick yeah. it up, put it in your fridge and share it with your friends. Yeah. Yeah. And we have, so we have, um, and ours are really like cocktails in the same way that Charles is doing, you know, um, craft house, you know, we've got a gin and tonic, we have a, a sun-kissed fizz, which is a vodka yuzu cocktail. Uh, there's a whiskey mule and we have two different spritz, uh, cocktails, the Pacific spritz and the Alora spritz. Um, so they're delicious. You know, I, I like to take them to the beach and just hang out and it's just nice to have a real cocktail. Um, in a can. (laughs) Absolutely. I love the name social hour. It just like, it's such like a call to action. (laughs) I feel like you need to like drink. (laughs) Tom's family. Uh, that's what they always call their happy hour. Social hour. Social hour. Yeah. 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 I love that. So tell us about what's next. I know you've got some 
very exciting big projects coming up. Um, maybe a new place, maybe yes. like just a show <laughs> or something, you know. Um yeah. I yeah, well, during, you know, so during the pandemic, I was kind of terrified that our, maybe we wouldn't even have a business anymore. In the very beginning, it was really scary here in New York. And, you know, we were closed and, uh, you know, I was like, we may have no livelihood. So I was saying yes to all the things. So I got, you know, I, I talked to somebody about this, you know, Netflix TV show. I was like, sure, I'll talk to you guys about that. And, it, you know, I ended up being chosen as a judge on the show, um, you know, which was crazy. I was like, they're talking to a lot of people. I really never expected that they would actually pick me to do it, but they did. Um, and so that news was just released uh, that it will be coming out October 28th on Netflix. It's called Drink Masters. Um, it was so fun to shoot. I have my co-judge. It was Frankie Solarek, who has a bar in Canada um, called bar chef. And he's very, you know, like experimental, like you get like a whole, you order a cocktail and you get this massive serve that basically tells the story of all of the things in the drink. And, you know, we come from very different backgrounds, which was actually really great because he is all about the molecular stuff. And I'm a lot more classically focused, um, uh, less, you know, bells and whistles, um, and then Tone Bell, who's a comedian and hilarious host of the show. Uh, but it's very much um, kind of like Top Chef, but for bartenders. So I think it's going to be very entertaining. <laughs> that is so cool. Yeah, I so mean, congratulations. That's just, yeah. you know, and I think you said something that's so important is just like, say yes to all the things, right? Like be open to these opportunities because you never know what's going to come. I mean, that's fat. You're, you, I mean, I, I appreciate your um, humbleness, like, oh yeah, it's just like this Netflix and I did the production, but it's huge, right? I mean, I think like, how do you even know how to host, right? I mean, like, how do you even know how to be on camera? I remember one time Bridget hooked me up to do like this little clip on it and I, I, it was just like the hardest thing ever. Yeah, it is. It's a skill that you get better at as you do it, for sure. Um, and I wasn't the host. I was a judge. Thankfully, there was a, a professional actor and comedian who was really like leading the show. Um, and Frankie and I were the judges. So, you know, we there there was like a, the judges a real... are just as and like just it's as true. But yeah, you know, they, like, mean... develop their own personality through. The yes. Show. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I've been I remember at Flatiron Lounge the very first time somebody came in with a camera because I that's not really why I didn't get in the industry thinking that I would move into talking to a camera, you know, and, and the first time I did it, I was terrified. Um, you know, I had, done, you know, public speaking and standing in front of a crowd of people, but it feels so different to stand there and have like this object in front of you that, you know, that, you know, that there's a whole bunch of people that are going to see this, but it's very impersonal. Mm -hmm. Um, and it really, you know, that was in 2003 and we shot this Netflix show in 2021, you know, so I had a long career and, of, you know, spending time doing seminars with like, Bridget and I did a seminar together uh, in Aspen once. It was super fun. It was um, so fun. We need to do it again. 
so great. Um, but yeah, you, you, you get better at it and you learn as you go along. And, you know, I think I'm known for being brutally honest, um, mm-hmm. particularly with my staff. And, you know, I will always tell people exactly what I think. And that was, I think, what the producers liked most about me because that's what they want in a judge, I guess. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Amazing. I cannot wait to watch. And you said it's released October 28th. Yes. Yep. Yep. We're going to binge watch you. Does Ah! it make you feel weird? I'm just going to sit with my popcorn and just watch you for the whole, like all the episodes. I'm I'm so excited. I'm I'm a little terrified. (laughs) I'm I'm like, oh, shit. (laughs) Have you had any sneak peeks? Have you been able to see any of it? Or like, how does that work? I mean, not, you know, there's very little information that they've put out just yet. So, uh, you know, sure. I, as it, as the, the trailer will probably get released soon and you'll get to see who the competitors are and, um, you know, it's going to be great. It's super fun. I'm so proud of you, Julie. I am so excited because once again, you know, you are the first to do something that is so important to all of us in the beverage community. And can I tell you why this show is so important? Because chefs have had this platform for freaking ever. Yep. I'm talking like going back to Julia child days, like they've been on television doing their craft and being respected for it for decades. Yeah. So this show is long coming and I think it will just explode into opportunities for so many and will bring once again, a, a whole new level of respect to our craft. So thank for you. Sure. Yeah. And I, you know, I think that part of that too, is that, uh, I mean, it's a couple things. I know like there are some food channels that are very much uh, watched by middle America and in middle America, a lot of uh, anything having to do with alcohol is bad, you know? And so the advertisers didn't want to support booze related shows. Even the show that, that you did bridge, I, I pitched that to the food network and, you know, they, I was like, how about iron chef mixology? And they ended up doing it with you attached to a chef, right? Right. Uh, They wouldn't even do just the chef, just the bar people. It had to have food related, you know, there had to be food content, um, and you know, you had to make drinks with the chef. So that, you know, it, it was a good start, but that it kind of died with that. Um, and as far as like, you know, doing a TV show, it took them seeing what Frankie does and like the, you know, the dry ice and the bubble and all of these visuals because TV is very visual. So just pouring liquor into a cocktail shaker and shaking it and straining it is not exciting enough for TV. So once they realized that, oh, bartenders are, you know, cooking things and making syrups and doing all of these different things, um, suddenly they were like, oh, okay, this actually could be something. And, you know, we're, we're going to move forward, but we'll see. You make, you make a great point because so much of that work and is done behind the scenes, right? So what I love to see, I know bartenders work so hard behind the scene, right? And a lot of the infusions and the prep and all of that, right? Just as important as as what chefs do to prepare. But I also think there's just something fascinating about seeing bartenders behind a bar and how quickly they move with grace and and grabbing stuff and, and serving multiple drinks and making multiple different cocktails. I mean, to me, that's so fascinating that I can't believe like where has TV been and not wanting to just capture every moment of that. I agree. I, I've been shocked at how many 
people have pitched shows and, you know, I mean, there've been a couple little things out there, but you know, nothing, nothing this big, like this is the first like major network to do a big production. And I mean, the set on this thing was amazing. Um, you know, top-notch writers involved and really cool challenges. And, you know, it's, it's going to be great. And I'm, I'm really excited for it. And I'm hoping, you know, that we do a season two and yeah, it'll be, it'll be fun. Yeah. I hope they give you your own show. <laughs> that would be really fun. Just Julie Reiner, just follow you around a reality show. Oh, there we God. go. Netflix. <laughs> She's like, hell no. no, way. no? Nobody's <laughs> following me around. <laughs> that sounds horrible. Oh my God. You say that now. I know. <laughs> we'll yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, so, you know, I don't know if we want to move into the other thing that I have going on. Um, yes, please. Yeah. Which, and this is so crazy that the announcement for both of these things happened on the same day. I was like, my internet, you know, my Instagram blew up. Oh um, but yes, I am working on opening a new bar. Um, um, called Miladies. Miladies going to be in Soho. Yeah, it was actually Miladies was a dive bar that was open for like 70 years, you know, in Soho. It was on the corner of Prince and Thompson Street. And I used to go there in the 90s and early 2000s. It was just like this really fun spot, kind of no frills. You know, it was a dive. There was a pool table, there was burgers and potato skins and that kind of stuff, chicken fingers. Um, but it was just like the, you know, how some spaces you walk into a bar and they, they just have really good energy, yes. Um, yes. you know, and, mm-hmm. and some don't, and this was one of those spaces that just always felt great, you know? And so when I, I met somebody who showed me the space and I was just like, how do we not reopen Miladies? It was such a beloved place. People were so sad when it closed. Um, you know, it, it, sadly it had been gutted and, um, you know, turned into an Italian restaurant. So there wasn't anything to really like restore within the space. Um, so it's definitely like a 2.0 and, you know, again, you, it's Soho, so you can't, what Milady's once was, isn't really possible anymore because of the rents that you pay now, right? You can't have a dive bar with a pool table that takes up half of the back of the space. Um, but, you know, we're trying to pay homage to it and um, still, you know, do cocktails. And, you know, we have a, a section of food that's going to be, you know, dive, which are like kind of those classics that you expect from a dive bar. And then we have high dive. Wow. <laughs> so like elevated uh, plates and, and whatnot. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited about that. Um, hired a, a beverage director uh, who moved from Portland to New York uh, by the name of Natasha Mesa, who's amazing. Uh, it's been really fun working with her, and we we're almost finished with a, with the cocktail menu. We're doing a big tasting on Friday, but yeah, and so we're excited, and it's going to be a, a fun new thing, and it'll be great to be back in Manhattan again uh, for me. You know, so yeah, coming from from Brooklyn. So I'll ask you that ultimate, where do you prefer to spend most of your time in Manhattan or Brooklyn? I mean, I guess I know Uh, the, I mean, you know, I mean, 
it's been Brooklyn for quite a while. Yeah, I live in Brooklyn. I opened Clover Club uh, 15 years ago. Um, Leanda is seven years old and they're across the street from each other. So I spend a lot of time on Smith Street in New York. <laughs> um, but I'm, you know, I'm excited for this, this change. And, you know, I, I have a daughter who's 13 and does, you know, is off doing her own thing now. And so, you know, to a degree. Um, and so it'll be, it'll be fun to, to get back into the city and, and kind of go in between Soho and, and Carroll Gardens and uh, have, have uh, spots in, in Manhattan and Brooklyn again. Wow. So, I, I mean, I, I have to ask one and, it, and it's going to be just such an open-ended question, but like, how do you do all of this, right? Like you come off just so calm and like, peaceful and not stressed, but you've got like multiple businesses. You have a 13 year old daughter. You've, you know, just did like a whole series on Netflix. You're opening up another place. What gets you through it all? Well, again, it comes down to partners, right? So Mm -hmm. while I'm on this podcast talking to you, uh, Susan is project managing the build out of Miladies. So she is over there talking to electricians and plumbers and overseeing the back bar build out. And she's dealing with all of that. Christine is at Clover Club, you know, handling what's happening on Smith Street, but also, you know, plates and glassware and ordering things. And, you know, so we all really have very different things that we focus on. Um, and I, without, without them, I couldn't do it. You know, Ivy's over there today. She's at Leanda, you know, so we really do have like this army of amazing people that we work with, um, which, which makes it, you know, makes life fun. And, you know, there's a level of trust. Like I know that they've got it right. Mm -hmm. And that is the, like getting to that point was that's where the success is, you know, um, we can go on vacation and know that, you know, I mean, it's hard to be Susan and I are married. So we go on vacation and it's Christine and Tom and Ivy who are kind of holding down the fort. Uh, so that, that really is the key to being able to do it all. You know, I don't do it all alone. <laughs> yeah. I get a lot of the, you know, I get a lot of the, um, kudos, uh, as you know, I just got the lifetime achievement award, the Helen David lifetime achievement award at tails. And, my entire speech was really about how all of these people, you know, make this happen. And that the, the award is really as much Sue Susan's as it is mine, you know? Mm-hmm. No, I just want to say, I think that is, a, you know, just something that is so important is that having that team and the people to help you and to stick through with you and that you can trust money can't buy that, right? You can't just pay for somebody to do that. And I think that that, a lot, a lot of people learn that the hard way is, is you really need, you know, that, that group and, and your partner. And, and I think Bridget and I are just so lucky because we have great partners, you know, at a, at a different level, personal level, but you know, like your, your partner is so important, right? Like who you're married to. So, um, yeah. so I mean, happy for you. Mm-hmm. And even, I mean, even, you know, uh, underneath that is like the people you hire to yeah. work in your bars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I mean, I think that that is a skill that, you know, I've always been pretty good at, you know, um, picking the right 
people to hire. Um, so many of the bartenders that we've had uh, at Flatiron Lounge and Pegu and Clover have gone on to do a lot of other great things. Um, but I know that our front lines are going to deliver the the message and what you know what we're trying to put across in our bars the way that the way that we want them to. Um, you know, we promote a lot from within. We have a lot of cocktail servers who become bartenders, who become managers, who become owners. You know, mm -hmm. Tom Macy started as a barback uh, and now is an owner of Clover Club, Leanda, and Social Hour. Um, Ivy started as a as a bartender with us at Lanikai, uh, a bar that I also had for two years, um, and then came to Clover Club and then became a bar owner. So, you know, I, I think that, you know, we like to give opportunities to the talented people and let them go to the next level in the same way that that we did. Uh, and by doing that, you know, you, you get a very loyal group of people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, we want to congratulate you as well. And, you know, we just kind of glossed over that award, but really want to congratulate you for winning the Helen David Lifetime Achievement Award. That's no small thing. You know, they select from a global, a global list of people. And it is because of your work, you know, the good work that you and, and your team is doing, Julie, it, it really does change um, folks' lives you know, at the end of the day, you're giving them pride in what they do and a place to do it. And, you know, really building that future of hospitality. So it's wonderful. Just congratulations on all of it. It's so much. It's just so much. We have to have you back on. And said, I just, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today, Julie. I do truly hope once, once the dust settles <laughs> that you can come back on and we can talk even further with you, but I want to thank you for being unserved up. And I just want to wish you, you know, just some great health and just a whole lot of peace, sister. Thank you so much for being on today's show. Thank you so much, Bridget and Julie. This was super fun. And, you know, Bridget, we go so far back and I have such mutual respect for you and you've been doing this just as long as I have. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, thank you for all of your hard work and so many people that you've mentored. And this is, this is great. And I, I can't wait to come back on your podcast again. Love it. Love thank it. you, Cheers. Julie. Cheers. Hope to see you in New York at the New York city wine and food festival. Cause we'll be there for a couple of days. Awesome. Yes. Let's do dinner. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <we will. laughs> That's great. For sure. Cheers. Hey, served up friends, Julie here. I am thrilled to tell you about the 15th annual Food Network New York City Wine and Food Festival taking place soon, October 13th through the 16th for its 15th year. Food Network personalities and more than 400 chefs, mixologists, and wine and spirit producers will come together to create an unforgettable Epicurean experience comprised of tastings, dinners, parties, brunches, lunches, masterclasses, and more. 100% of the net proceeds from New York City Wine and Food Festival go to God's Love We Deliver. God's Love We Deliver is New York City's leading provider of medically tailored meals and nutrition counseling for individuals living with severe illnesses. To date, New York City Wine and Food Festival has raised more than $14 million for its charitable causes. 
The festival provides a platform for the charity, which has a presence at events through activations and speaking opportunities that help strengthen existing relationships in the food, beverage, and hospitality industry, and also create new ones from on-site interactions. We are so excited to share that the Served Up crew will also be on the ground, bringing you the behind the scenes action at the festival. We hope you join us to eat, drink, and feed New York City by purchasing tickets on sale now at www.nycwff.org. And don't forget to follow at Served Up Podcast on all your favorite platforms. And if you're a long-term listener, please leave a review. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Served Up is brought to you by Southern Glazers Wine and Spirits. Produced by Zunu.online. Music by We Kill the Lion can be found on Spotify. Make sure to subscribe to be notified of future Served Up episodes. Cheers.